Hey, everybody. Ever feel like you're just losing it in life? Well, you might be more normal than you think. Coming up today, we'll talk about how we are all just a little bit out of sorts and how we can help each other keep our sanity. That's next on The Matt Townsend Show. Good afternoon. I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. The Obama campaign is responding to the recall election in Wisconsin yesterday that resulted with Republican Governor Scott Walker keeping his job. President Barack Obama's presidential campaign says the outcome for the Wisconsin recall election isn't what it had been hoping for. Republican Governor Scott Walker defeated the Democrat who was trying to unseat him. Now, Obama never traveled to Wisconsin to campaign, but he did send out a Twitter message of support. Meanwhile, the Wisconsin director of Obama's campaign did have some good news. It said that exit polls show voters favoring Obama over Republican challenger Mitt Romney. Shirley Smith, Washington. Officials at the White House are denouncing claims from top Republicans that sensitive information was leaked in order to boost the president's re-election chances. The allegations come from Republican Senator John McCain. This puts American lives in danger, revealing our most uh, highly classified operations, both in cyber war and in drones. McCain gave CBS this morning an example of the kind of information he says is being leaked. The doctor who helped us with uh, eliminating um, bin Laden, uh, he, he was identified and shouldn't have been. He's now just been sentenced to 33 years in prison. The White House refers to McCain by name and calls calls his allegations grossly irresponsible. Rita Foley, Washington. More conflict for President Obama and Congress today. They are once again at odds over extending the Bush-era tax cuts. White House Press Secretary Jay Carney says the president will not go along with even a temporary extension of expiring tax cuts for the wealthy. Congressional Republicans say those tax cuts have to remain in place. This is top Senate Republican Mitch McConnell. The economy needs the certainty of the extension of the current tax rates for at least a year. And Republicans are pointing to comments by the president's former economic advisor, Lawrence Summers, who warned on MSNBC not to take gas out of the tank or do anything to stall the economy. Jerry Bodlander, Capitol Hill. Israel is building a 300 home development on the West Bank. But this news is not making anyone happy. The 300 housing units are going to go up in the West Bank settlement of Beit El, it's Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's way of placating settlers after Israel's Supreme Court ordered demolition of five buildings built illegally on privately owned Palestinian land. He says he'll move those buildings into the existing settlement. This is making no one happy. The settlers say they'll resist the move. The Palestinians say the new construction undermines peace efforts. Mark Levy, Cairo. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Matt Townsend, your relationship coach, your life coach. Doing what we can on this show every single day of the week to help you and your family, your loved ones grow healthy, happy lives, healthy relationships, and to hopefully, if we can, lighten your load a little bit as you're just traveling on this great big ball of mud we call Earth. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, today um, we're going to be talking about something that it's it's a very sensitive issue. 
Yet I think everybody listening has been impacted by it. Okay, it's um, in fact just looking at the headlines, a, a quick review of a bunch of headlines. Okay, mental health headlines. Listen to how many times the concept of mental health is in the news. One headline was art can be good for mental health. Some studies that are out on that mental health that is at the root of the millet's mom's killing, apparently a murder. Um, where mental health issues were at the were at the root there. Army review to look at mental health compensation. China to boost treatment for mental health illness. The risk of mental health illness uh, is higher for premature babies. Uh, the stigma about mental disorders keeps people from seeking help. That's one issue we want to talk about today as we get into this topic of mental health issues, mental health disorders. The impact of reality shows on mental health. Screening for mental illness. Yes, there is an app for that. More mental health care urged for kids who self-harm. Poverty linked to mental disorders. Mental health, an issue near end of stabbings trial. Now, think of just the rest of the news. All of the the other things you hear out there, murders and other problems going on in the world, so many of them are attributed to mental health issues. And I think it's a huge problem in our culture, in our world, that we're not dealing with. And I think, honestly, when we come down to it, Most of us don't even know quite how to deal with it. So on today's show, we wanted to give you a leg up. We wanted to give you a chance to start to maybe open some discussions with people in your life that might need some help or for yourself to just start evaluating you and start evaluating where you might fit. I mean, I think everybody at some point or another in their life feels impacted. They feel they feel like they're just losing it for lack of a better word, they just feel like they're not all, they don't have all their faculties. And it could be depression. It could be, you know, anxiety. I know people that have just anxiety and it stops them from performing and it stops them from magnifying their talents and their gifts and giving back and being able to maximize who they are. And it's this crazy little idea that it could be just this simple little idea, right, of just anxiety, that keeps you from being employed or or impacts your ability to go to work because you get so stressed about everything that could go wrong. So we're going to untie the ideas, the facts, the numbers, tools about mental illness. How do you approach it, whether it's in your life or another? How do you deal with it? Who do you talk to? Where do you begin? That's what we're going to be getting into all through the show. And I'd love to hear from you. If you have some questions, some ideas, some comments, some insight. I would love to hear from you. You can get a hold of us at mattchat at byu.edu. Mattchat at byu.edu. And um, we'd love to hear your questions. What are the concerns you have? We're going to be bringing on a mental health expert, who uh, Colton Miller, who, who works with uh, at uh, BYU-Idaho and works um, in depth with people who are struggling with just basic mental health issues. How do we diagnose it? How do you make sure you get the right um, the right questions? What are the right questions to ask your new counselor? What is your role? What is the counselor's role? When do you need medication? All of these questions we're going to go through. So be giving us a, a call or a, sorry, a, a text or an email at mattchat at byu.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter at uh, BYU Radio or Facebook on BYU Radio. We'd love to hear 
and answer any specific questions or comments you have. Now, let me give you some statistics because I don't want you to get away thinking, you know what, it's not that big of a deal. Hardly anybody's going through this. Here's the reality. One in four adults, approximately 57.7 million Americans experience a mental health disorder in a given year. One in 17 lives experience a serious mental mental illness, such as schizophrenia, major depression, or bipolar disorders. And about one in 10 children live with a serious mental or emotional disorder. Okay, this is a big deal. Nearly 60 million Americans every year are going through this. Now, interestingly, it may not be you this year, but it might be your coworker, right? It could very easily be your mother, your friend, your wife. It could also be your children. So instead of just sitting there thinking they're going crazy, can't tell you in my practice when I work with couples and people how many times they just get branded as just being irrational. Oh, they're so rude. They're rude. Oh, they're just lazy. That lazy, lazy teenager son of yours that won't do anything because he's just sitting on the couch. He won't go out and play with friends. He won't go do what he needs to do because he's just lazy. You know what? That kid may not be lazy. That kid may just have anxiety. Or the husband that lost his job that can't get off his duff now, right? And he's just sitting around. He may not actually have anxiety. He may just have depression. So at some point, folks, I found until we get educated about this, we just keep calling people names, and the names aren't going to help. So instead, when you start to see some of these signs, I want you to pay attention to them. These are all signs, and we're going to get into them as we bring on um, our counselor that we're going to be talking to, Colton Miller. But uh, you be thinking, and go get the people that need to hear this. Remember, we replay this show at uh, – so it's, we're, it's, we're on 5 o'clock Eastern time. We go on again at 7 o'clock Eastern time. So we're going to replay it. It's also on tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. So get the people that you love, that you need to listen to this show, because I promise we're going to give you the tools you need. Here's some other stuff. About 1.1% of the adult population live with schizophrenia. And schizophrenia would be a fairly you know, aggressive, advanced mental illness. It's a serious one, major one. Bipolar disorder affects about 2.6% of the, of the adult population. So when you're out there telling someone he's bipolar... 2.6% of the time, you might be right. Major depressive disorders affects about 6.7% of the adults. Anxiety disorder, PTSD. I can't tell you how many couples coming back where one of the partners was a soldier in the military are coming back with PTSD or generalized anxiety where they just don't want to share it. I have people very close to me that are afraid to share their talents. They're afraid to share um, their great gifts that the rest of the rest of us in the world desperately need, and they don't want to share them because it just induces too much anxiety. Thirty-one percent of um, of adults uh, in America have addiction disorders, which again would probably get into a lot of our homeless communities and a lot of um, those. So we're being impacted by it. One half of all lifetime cases of mental illness begin by the age of fourteen. Three quarters by the age of twenty-four. So you'll see a lot of times that the kids make it through the teen years, they get out into college, and in college they might start to slide a little bit, and that might very well be where they're starting to manifest some of these other illnesses. Um, Again, suicide is the 11th leading cause of death in the United States, the third leading cause of death for people ages 10 to 24 
it's something we can address. And we're going to have you look for the signs and how to work for it. And again, 24% of state prisoners and 21% of local jail prisoners have a recent history of mental health disorders. Folks, it's impacting us. And you know what? Those are just the national statistics. I'm more worried about your marriage. Uh, Is your wife just always so down? Why is she such a downer? Maybe she's depressed. You can't blame everything on PMS, folks. You know what? I've tried. It doesn't work. Sometimes it's not even PMS. Sometimes it's just depression. Sometimes it's just, you know, mood mood issues or manic or, or other issues that are going on. So I want you to be thinking about it. Gather your friends. Think of your questions. If you'd like, text your or email your questions to us at mattchat at byu.edu. And we will try to get those on the air as well. Again, we're talking about mental health issues, how to get your hands wrapped around it and love your partner, love the people in your life, help them create the solutions they need. That's what we're going to be doing for the next hour right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Reverse geometry might sound like a math course, but it's actually a technology that could save you time in the airport and help keep your travels safe. This is Innovation Now. Imagine an airline flight with no baggage check line. With reverse geometry x-ray technology, airport security could view layers within objects to examine what lies beneath the surface instantly. This could translate to no more waiting as your bag travels down a conveyor belt to be examined. Instead, you would set your bag on a scale where it would be scanned quickly while it's weighed. The reverse geometry digital x-ray system was developed when researchers at NASA wanted help investigating integrity issues with aging aircraft. With software, the DigiRay scanner can produce 3D images using up to 64 detectors to scan for defects in aerospace vehicles. The detectors scan simultaneously, each giving a different view without having to reposition the item. This technology has applications in not only the aerospace industry, but also in the medical field and with Homeland Security. While you may not have previously heard of reverse geometry X-ray imaging, this innovation could be what allows you to sleep in just a little longer before that early morning flight. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. It goes something like this. Uh, hey there, it's the morning show. Break a leg now. It's the morning show. Come along, everybody. It's the morning show. On your mark, get set, go. The morning show with Marcus Smith, only on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show, everybody, right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Have you had a bad day? Are you just getting worn down? You're tired of it? You're tired of the battle? And are you tired of the battle with your family members that just seem to never be able to have a good day? Well, you know what? They may have 
uh, some mental illness. They may have some some mental health issues that uh, instead of just blaming them, naming them, and labeling them, putting them down, maybe what we ought to do instead is just try to understand it. I think most of us don't understand some of the impact that this mental illness, the the serious impact it has on just our functioning. And so on today's show, we are going to dive in and bring on some experts and start giving you some tools and ideas for how to handle it if it's about you, how to diagnose it, see what you're, what's really going on, and maybe more importantly for some of us is how to help others uh, who are suffering through this. So before we do that, you've heard of the armchair quarterback, right? And the backseat driver, right? So what about the homemade psychiatrist? Seems like everyone who's taking their own, their one, you know, their one college required psychology course thinks that they can diagnose and psychoanalyze just about anything. But when it comes to mental health, I don't think that means what you think it means. Socially speaking, we are about 50 years behind on the language of current psychology. Me, being a member of the psychology department, we're okay with this. We live in a compartmentalized way. We have a social language, and then we have our professional language. Now, I got to say, this is not a call to be more politically correct. We here in broadcasting will be the first to say, we're sick of it too. We're talking about mental health today, and I want to make sure we're all on the same page. I'm going to give you the word we use in conversation, the actual term for diagnosis, and then the telltale symptom, because nobody wants to get caught misinterpreting conduct disorder as operational defiant disorder, because that would be... Was that too nerdy? I never know. So here's some words that we use in conversation, but psychologists will never use in a paper, lest they be flogged and ridiculed. Psychopath. The actual term? Antisocial personality disorder. To keep it simple, they realize that other people have feelings and rights, and they just don't care when they violate them. Which brings me to my next one. Antisocial does not mean that they are not very outgoing. It means that they move against the established social order of not hurting other people, for example. A better word for antisocial the way we use it is introverted, and introversion is not a mental disorder. Bipolar, well, you have the term right on this one, but usually the word you're looking for is moody, or they have low blood sugar. Because a real case has crippling depression in that they don't want to get out of bed for three days, and then they are awake for 36 hours starting projects but never finishing any of them crazy. The real term is psychopathology, as in, I think Matt's got some psychopathology. It's an umbrella term for mental illness. Schizo or schizophrenic. Well, this one, you also have the term right on it, but the diagnosis is a little more complicated. In the very least, there needs to be hallucinations, delusions, and disorganized speech called word salad. See kids, science is easy. But if I were to offer some encouragement from this, be careful how you use the words as labels. That's really why we've moved away from these words. 80 years ago, we had the green light to label someone as an imbecile, and that's just not cool. So do what you can, and please help us move away from these words. Wow. Did Bryce Tobin just disrespect me on the radio? I am telling you, that little 16-year-old punk is driving me crazy. Um, here's the deal. I love that because we, are, we don't know the words, do we? Are they sick? Are they crazy? Are they bipolar? Are they schizo? Think of how many words we use to describe people. And honestly, we don't have a clue. So we're going to bring on uh, Dr. Colton Miller, our um, our resident expert, well, resident from Idaho, uh, expert. Um, he is a doctor of uh, counseling psychology, Ph.D., and um, also works in the counseling center at Brigham Young, Idaho. Dr. Miller, appreciate you being on with us. 
Yeah, it's great to be with you. Thank you for for being on. Now, we got to just make it clear that you're just a counselor, right? You're not out there representing BYU-Idaho with all of our talk (laughs) here, right? Yeah, everything I say is completely my own beliefs and my own opinions, hopefully based in, you know, empirical science. That's but good. no, I'm not representing BYU-Idaho or anything and, like that. And you, you, if you wish to remain silent, you can. These things will not be <laughs> held against you in a court of law. Um, appreciate you being with us, Dr. Miller, because it's – we really – this the mental health issue, the world, we're really kind of misinformed, aren't we? Yeah, I think uh, as a general public, um, we just don't have quite the education that we need to be informed and to be helpful about these uh, about mental health issues. How do we now, as somebody, because you work in the counseling center, so there, I'm sure you just have a lot of people coming through, needing help for a variety of reasons. What what is it that? Uh, what are the signs that tell us? You know what? It's probably time you need some some real mental health prof- mental health professionals in your life. Sure. I think most of the time um, that's probably a personal decision. Um, For example, uh, where I work at a university, and most universities, if not all universities across the United States, they all have counseling centers. And when I was working on my undergraduate degree, I didn't even know counseling centers existed. Oh, really? Yeah, because you you weren't using them, and so it was kind of out of sight, out of mind. Exactly. And, And when we don't, obviously, if you don't think about it, you don't know it exists. But anyway, so... So a lot of what we see walking through our door now, um, we see a little bit of everything. But back to my point is it's an individual decision. I don't think anybody can necessarily tell you you need to, you must go to therapy. I mean, certainly people do that, but that may not be the most helpful approach. Right. Um, And so it's an individual decision. And oftentimes why people come in is I would say maybe 80% of the time of the clientele I work with, they know why they're there. Oh, they good. know why they're coming in. They yeah. know kind of what's going on. Maybe 20% just know something feels off or, you know, they're just not sure what is going on, but they know they need some professional help. Right. Do, do, so do, they, people, do they actually give you, like, what they think it is? Do they come in and say, you know, I think I've got depression? Um, sometimes, or yeah. they just I, kind I, of perfectly classify it? No, well, rarely that happens. Yeah. But sometimes, sometimes they're able to kind of identify, yeah, I think I might be depressed or for anxiety often here, you know, I just worry a lot all of the time. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as, as mental health experts and, and, and therapists, the kind of way my brain works is similar to medical doctors. If somebody comes in and they're describing their symptoms, I'm kind of going through the, the, the Rolodex in my brain. Right. That's an old term, Rolodex. Yeah. Through my brain and sort of kind of making a symptom checklist to kind of see what possibly be, could be going on. Because they, that, it, it is that specific, right? I mean, there's, you're, you, there are specific things that need to be manifesting or a, a certain amount of things manifesting in order to actually diagnose someone. Exactly. It's and, not and just like feeling down. It's other things too. Sure. And so when somebody says feeling down, I want to explore that more with them. Good. I want to know what they mean by feeling down. I want to know how that affects their everyday, if that affects their relationships, if it affects their work. If it affects their self-confidence, confidence, all those types of things. Do you and think... so I'll ask um, kind of diagnoses questions, you know, checking for symptomology right. or a mood disorder or whatever it might be. Do you think that they um, – I mean it seems like a lot of people underestimate, and I see this in my, my profession just working with couples that – you know, they know their mother had depression, their grandmother had depression, their sisters have depression, and they felt they felt really down, but they just don't want to go there. Do you? Sure. I mean, and so what? Um, as you as you see that, at what point 
just as the just as a regular person out there, when is it that you sense that like what advice would you give is a good time for me to start getting real about the fact that I might need help? What are, what are some signs that are showing me out in the real world, just a regular Joe, that it's that I I really might need a little outside help versus just you know hunkering down and sucking it up? Sure. Um, and you mentioned one of those signs that I think is a pretty good indicator. If there is a genetic history, a family history of mental illness, um, and you're feeling off in, in some sort of way too, that you may want to come in and get that checked out. Right. Um, if you experience, uh, for example, let me just throw a couple out. Yeah. Poor concentration, angry outbursts, um, decreased motivation, changes, changes in your sleep pattern or your eating habits. Um, if you're often irritable, I mean, beyond what you feel could be normal, per se. Dr. Miller, that sounds like my morning right there. <laughs> is that bad? That is my whole morning. Uh, you're <laughs> not going to tell me something, are you? <laughs> no, not at all. Okay. Um, and, and, and that's just it. I mean, people will experience all of these things to different degrees. Right. But the question you may want to ask yourself is, is my distress interfering with my work, with my relationships, mm. with my confidence, with my everyday living? Is there something getting in the way of me experiencing, you know, happy is a funny word in our profession. Yeah, I don't is. want to say happy because that's, that's uh, I don't know, if you're always happy, that's actually a symptom that's of maintenance. Another, that's exactly, yeah. is it? But, but more contentment. I mean, if you don't feel content, if you feel like something is seriously off, then you may want to go get checked in. But there's, there's some more serious indicators, like you're having delusions or hallucinations. Yeah. Um, let me give you an example yeah. real quick. Um, I, I, worked with, I work with a lot of people who uh, struggle with obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm -hmm. And so I remember meeting with a gentleman, and he was married, had a couple kids, and never been in therapy, anything like that. But he recounted, and, and, and as he came in and as we visited, it became obvious to me that he had OCD. I mean, he, he explained to me that he would walk into a room, and he would see, I don't know, for example, three paintings on a wall. And what he would do is he would sit there and he would count in order those paintings. He'd go one, two, three from left to right, three, two, one, two, three, three, two, one. And he mm. would do that in a pattern. And I had him keep track one time and he said he did it over 4,000 times in one day. Uh. And he had no idea. I mean, this individual is in his 30s that he actually struggled with something. He just wow. kind of assumed that maybe this is normal. People do and this. There was a yeah, and, and there is a piece of embarrassment in that. Oh, we absolutely, talk, yeah. We can talk about stigma as well. Yeah. But he had no idea, and as we talked more and found more symptoms, I mean, he was just a classic case of obsessive-compulsive disorder. Wow, and it seems like, I mean, really, what, um, what, a, what a prison. Because oh. he doesn't even know fully, I mean, he could count it, but he doesn't even know fully that that's not what we're doing. That's not, everyone else is just wondering what they're going to eat today. And, sure. and he oh, it's and so th that to me is why it's so important that we're having this show, because if we can get some help, then just it's not I mean, I guess the label of OCD could be, you know, a stigma. And it might also be just the keys to the to the prison. Sure. It's powerful. Okay. That's a powerful role that you're in. Um, what we got about 30 seconds a minute. What do you think? What do you think, doctor, is the. um What's the number one way – and we'll come back from the break and we'll talk about in depth other ways to kind of influence the people around us. What else do you think people out there need to know about mental health issues? What is it that we as just lay people don't quite understand and we're off? Um, and, and you've already talked about it early in your show. 
uh, there's a lot of myths about mental health and stigma attached to it. It's kind of a belief that we should have our stuff together all the time and everything's right. okay. And that if I struggle with something, it's not necessarily your fault. Yeah. There's, there could be a lot of things that are impacting you, and, and I think it's important to get those things checked out. So kind of self-awareness, I think, and, and we can talk more about mental health myths and yeah. kind of the stigma attached to it. Love it. We'll be back, um, Dr. Miller. Appreciate that. And again, if you're listening grab the people around you that need to hear this. We, are, we replay this show again in about two hours. We'll re- replay it on um, tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. Eastern time. So grab the people that need to hear this message because really it's a message of hope. It's a message of life. Uh, mental health issues, you know, we can, we can help. And there's tools out there. There's people that are there to help. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back after this break on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Connect with Matt on BYU Radio's Facebook page and Twitter at BYU Radio. Walking to dinner is great. With the new sidewalks, it's easier not to drive. That's a choice more people can make these days as more communities become sustaining places where shopping, restaurants, recreation, and public transportation are close to where people live. We want you to know that sustaining places don't just happen. They take planning. I think I'll catch the bus to work today. Learn more at planning.org. A message from the American Planning Association. As to answer your question, we actually have an architect, a native in Madagascar with 20 years of experience, who has worked in affordable housing for the government. How do you run across someone like that? Uh, you know, I, I would say lots of divine help. Um, divine help, that's a nice cop-out. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to answer my question. <laughs> The Morning Show with Marcus Smith, only on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Good afternoon, I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. The billions of dollars lost by J.P. Morgan Chase were the result of a lack of proper controls, according to a top regulator. The controller of the currency is the primary regulator overseeing J.P. Morgan Chase and in an appearance before the Senate Banking Committee, Thomas Curry said the nation's largest bank did not have the necessary structures in place to guard against the massive losses it incurred. The issue at J.P. Morgan Chase is one of uh, inadequate uh, risk management. Lawmakers also wanted to know why the regulator, with dozens of people monitoring J.P. Morgan Chase, didn't see the risks ahead of time. Jerry Bodlander, Capitol Hill. A group of Muslims in New Jersey are suing the New York City Police Department for what they claim is illegal surveillance. The lawsuit filed in federal court in Newark demands that the NYPD stop its surveillance of Muslims in New Jersey. Farhaj Hassan, an Iraq veteran and Army reservist, says he joined the suit after two different mosques he attended showed up on the surveillance list. Guilt by association is a career stopper. It's a showstopper. It's an ender. The NYPD has called its surveillance necessary to protect the city after the 9-11 attacks. The police commissioner has said it's been approved by a special federal monitor. And police point to a recent finding by the New Jersey attorney general that its activities across the Hudson were legal. Warren Levinson, New York. In lighter news from New York, the space shuttle Enterprise has arrived at its final destination. 
The space shuttle prototype Enterprise drew hundreds of gawkers along the Hudson on the final leg of its journey. Some who just happened by and watched it barge up to be lifted to the flight deck of the Intrepid Museum, and some, like Don Fry of Reading, Pennsylvania, who made a special trip to see it. I had a stamp, a commemorative stamp issue when it came out in 1980 of all of them. Enterprise is one of those stamps, so... I got to see the real thing. As the Enterprise edged toward the crane that would lift it onto the Intrepid, the spectators' numbers were swelled by boats, launches, yachts, tour boats, and sailboats parked in the Hudson for a look. Warren Levinson, New York. The Olympic torch is touring through Ireland, and its arrival in Dublin is being seen as a symbol of strong British-Irish ties. A high-speed convoy has sped the symbol of the London Games to the Irish capital after a dawn ceremony at the border between the Republic of Ireland and the British Territory of Northern Ireland. The event marks the high point of the Torch's five-day tour of Northern Ireland and Dublin. Following the Torch's two-hour circuit of the capital, there's a large street party happening in a central park. North of the border, police are deploying reinforcements to ensure that Irish Republican Army splinter groups do not disrupt the famed evening procession through Belfast. I'm Charles Dillard. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. If you feel alone and lost and need a friend, remember every new beginning is some beginnings end. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome to wherever you are. I love that uh, that song by Bon Jovi. Um, welcome wherever you are, because at some point or another, we're all, you know, upside down in something. Whether we're struggling with our mental health, which is what we're talking about today, our moods, you know, some depression, a little anxiety, or whether we're suffering with being upside down financially, Socially, we can't interact, you know, spiritually. We feel like we're totally off and disconnected from life. The neat thing about life is if you live long enough, you'll probably get a taste of being upside down in just about everyone, one of those areas. Now, we're talking to Dr. Um, Colton Miller from Brigham Young University, Idaho, who we brought on as our expert. Again, he's not representing the university up there. He's just giving us his best insight in how to deal with mental health and mental health issues. And we've been talking about, um, we've just been talking about kind of the stigma to this and and how a lot of people don't necessarily want to confront it. Now, Dr. Miller, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thank you. And um, thanks for being here. What do you think, when you think about it, like, I I have a lot of people that, that say to me, you know what? He doesn't. He doesn't have a problem. He's just way moody, sure. and, and a lot of people that just don't understand that there is an actual diagnosis. That there are other problems chemically and other things that are at play. Do we just not get it as kind of co, you know, bystanders in the life of these people? Sure. I think there's often there's a lot of misconceptions, and when somebody labels somebody as just kind of moody, well, yeah. the question should be is why? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, people generally, I don't think, are born as moody people. <laughs> that um, baby is so moody. <laughs> and so what that comes down to is oftentimes there can be situational factors that can 
contribute to somebody's moodiness mm-hmm. or, you know, environmental factors, or there can actually be something going on with them on a biological level that is causing them to be moody, as like, an example. Like give us some examples of that. So literally, it's where your biology – so this isn't – I mean, a lot of people might think, oh, so your parents messed you up or it's something that happened in your childhood. But it, it literally could just be biology. Your brain just isn't making chemistry, for example. Sure, and that, that's exactly correct. I'm, I'm not going to go so far to say that all mental illness is strictly biological. That's right. not true. No. Um, but however, in my experience – there are a lot of a lot of biological connections to why people, you know, feel or behave a certain way. Let, let me use depression as an example. Mm-hmm. The word depression is thrown around all of the time. Yeah. Okay? What we in our in our profession, there's a diagnosis called major depressive disorder. Okay. And there are certain criteria to meet that. And for somebody to meet that, um, for them to feel depressed and irritable and lose sleep and change their eating habits and it really affects them. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily because their boyfriend just broke up with them. That would be more of a situational depression. Right. Just the, yeah. What's going on in their environment, their world. Sure. Actually major depressive disorder or clinical depression is another way to describe that. It doesn't need a reason to make you feel like garbage. Yeah. It just it just does. It just and yeah, you know there's a lot of research out there looking at serotonin levels mm-hmm. and, and that's why we get into the medication realm as well. Yeah. Because if there are biological connections there, then medication is one form of treatment to help with that. And so and so in the mental health world, there's there are disorders, and then there are um, what else are there? There's just conditions. I mean, because it's more. I mean, a disorder is is more. It's, it seems more clinical. It seems more pernicious, more systemic. Yeah. Is that true? I mean, I know there's variations of all of these things. Sure. It is, there are actually, honestly, there are mental illnesses. Yes. Just like there is diabetes, just like there is cancer. The stigma is, is because we don't necessarily, we can't see it. Right. And, 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 and therefore we don't understand it. I mean, if somebody has cancer, you're going to be able to tell. Yeah. And, you know, and, but we can't just always look up on an x-ray and show, oh yes, there's that person's anxiety and there's this person's schizophrenia mm-hmm. right? and so we kind of jump to uh maybe they're making it up or yeah. they're just being overdramatic or something like that so because we can't always see it manifest um physically then sometimes we just don't believe it even though a lot of mental illness does have physical effects on people right well i mean like uh, i hear and i don't know if this is a mental health issue but, but i mean it's got to be connected to fibromyalgia i can't tell you how many clients i hear that just don't feel good and they're sure. in pain. And yeah, then they go to their doctors, and their doctors are like, mm, I don't know. Yeah, and, and, and that's what happens. And so let me talk a little bit yeah. about the process of some, you know, somebody out there that might be listening that's, that's concerned about themselves or a loved one. So what happens, I think, in the general community is that the first thing is getting over the stigma that you actually need help. I mean, we all kind of have this I, very – we're kind of egocentric in that right. sense that we can handle it, you know, grit your dang teeth type that's of right. approach. And I think that's kind of a generational thing. Yeah. You know, I, like to, I like to pick on my dad. I love my dad. He's wonderful. But he comes from the generation where it was grit your dang teeth, get back up on the horse, and just you know, forget about it and move on. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think that can cause some damage for people who actually struggle with mental illness because I promise you they've thought of that and they've been trying it themselves. Right. But anyway, so once a person gets to that point, then they start to think, well, I need to go to a doctor of some sort. And most people, I believe, would probably start with a family practitioner of some sort. Right. A PA, a nurse practitioner, or, you know, a, a general medicine doctor. 
And they're trained, hopefully, somewhat to kind of listen and to diagnose, but oftentimes their treatment is, you know, give out a pill and see what happens. Exactly. Which, which can be helpful. Sure. Um, the ones who are kind of more aware of mental health issues, they'll listen, and then they can make referrals to a mental health therapist in the area, mm-hmm. whether that be a social worker, a marriage family therapist, a licensed counselor, or a psychologist. And so then that person would obviously go there. Um, and and each one of those have they, – they, they all have specialties, right? They all have different levels of training and different specialties. And so you'd want to make sure you're, you're shopping as well, right? Oh, exactly. Well, you know, when I have a child who I feel like needs help, I'm not just going to send him to the nearest person down the street. Right, exactly. You know, just like with – you know, if you have to have surgery on something, you know, heart surgery, you probably want to seek out – one of the heart surgeons that has a good reputation. Right, exactly. You may, you know, you don't want to just go to somebody who does it out of their basement. Yeah. And so, and so, what I'm saying there is, you're right. Different mental health therapists have different levels of training. Um, I think you ha- you do have to have at least a master's degree in something in order to call yourself a mental health therapist and okay, actually yeah. practice. Right. Um, but but many people go on and they'll get their PhDs. Uh-huh. And um, you know, I'm biased, but but of course, I mean, you look at yeah. training differences. And, and, you know, there's a lot of education that goes into three, four extra years of training versus just two years. Exactly, especially in your field because you're also spending thousands and thousands of hours with, with patients or clients sure. as you're doing it. So it's not like you're just doing this in a classroom. Exactly. And, and that's not to say that individuals who have their master's aren't good therapists or anything right. like that. It's just, you know, as you're shopping, these are questions that you'll want to ask. You, you have every right to ask your therapist what their degree is in. Do they have any specialties? Kind of how they believe people change and right. what we stay in the field is, you know, are you a cognitive behaviorist? Are you attachment theorist? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and kind of their approach. And you as a, as, a, as, a, as a client or a patient have every right to say, you know, this, I don't think this is working for me. And to ask for a referral if you feel like, you know, you're not getting what you need or, yeah. or to you know, suggest to your therapist, hey, can we go a different direction or, you know, you, you're, you're in charge when it comes to mental health uh, practice. Well, exactly. And I think, too, and you want to – you also want to see – I mean, it's open-ended to a degree. You also – you need to see some progress. Exactly. And, and how do you determine progress in a mental health situation? I guess it would be my depression would at least be understood with a plan and we're progressing. Or is sure. it – it's not because it's not like, okay, boom, you're done. Your anxiety yeah. is gone. You can now go yeah. out in public. Man, I, I wish that I takes time. That. I, Wouldn't that be great? I, I mean that's, that's what the medical doctors, I guess, are for, <laughs> surgery. <laughs> and so you have to be aware of your own expectations going into – um, visiting with uh, a therapist of some sorts. If you believe that they can flick their magic wand like in Harry Potter and fix you, yeah. you're going to be sorely disappointed. And so your question is, how do we measure progress? Um, I think in the past 10 to 20 years, uh, psychology as a profession has done an extraordinary job at trying to look at what treatments are effective versus treatments that may not be as effective. Yeah, so it's almost turning more scientific, isn't it? Most certainly. I think psychology as a, as, a, as a discipline has kind of had a chip on her shoulder a yeah. little bit in years past, you know, yeah. you know, Freud and all of these weird theories that people hear about and just kind of Dis- brush yeah, off. Exactly. And so we, we've had that push to be more empirical and more science-based. Well, because in a weird way, don't you think there's a little – it sounds weird, but I've just known in working and, and referring people to therapists, it's kind of – there's also – so there's the science of it, but there's also the art of it in a way where oh. these therapists, they, they kind of either get it and they, they get the – 
they are intuitive feelers that get you, and some just don't, and they're just sure. you know what I mean. So it's kind of the artist. That sounds weird, but no, no, you're you're hitting on it exactly because here's the deal: we work with, or I should say, I I work with a variety of people with a million different concerns and thousands of different personalities. Right. And so I'm, I'm quick to recognize, you know, I'm just not a good fit for this person. Yeah. <laughs> and whether that's my own stuff or if it's their own personality or if it's the issue they're presenting with, mm-hmm. I'm okay with that because I'm not here to save the world. So I'm happy to refer them to somebody that I think would be a better fit. That's great. And so you with your therapist should be open about that and talk about that openly because we can't fix everything no. that walks through our door. I mean, and a lot of it, to be honest with you, it has to do with the patient and the client's motivation and determination to work through their issues exactly. rather than what's going to come yeah. out of my mouth. That's right. It's so much a team. I mean, it really – and it's – and that's the thing is every – a lot of these patients, I'm sure, would love to just blame you for why they didn't get it. Sure. And that, and that happens. And you yeah. know what? I'll be honest. Sometimes I do a crappy job as a yeah. therapist. It's hard because it's a changing game, isn't it? It's not like, yeah. again, I had a cardiologist once tell me, what you need to do, Matt, is you need to create an instrument that just measures the human relationship. And I'm like, well, okay, but like he, he said, like my heart, like he can do with the heart. And I sure. sat there and I said, well, yeah, but the heart doesn't get mad at you while you're measuring it. And the heart <laughs> doesn't get all upset because you didn't bring home milk. But the relationship can change on a dime. Sure. or And even so can our moods, I guess. Yeah. Uh, l- let me speak real quick to the art, art of it. Yeah. Um, you know, I can work with somebody with, you know, I keep going to OCD because that's kind of what I know best. Right. I'll work with one client with OCD, but then I'll work with 12 other clients with OCD, and not one of them are the same. Yeah, exactly. They have different obsessions. They have different compulsions. So the patterns might be similar, but their personalities are different. Uh They've been through different experiences. They've had different traumas sometimes. I mean, and so that's the art of it is the willingness as a therapist to move and be with their client no matter where they're coming from and what they're dealing with. And And how you have to get it out of them or get the data out of them. Or get some shifting in thinking. I mean, that's the art, isn't it? Is figuring out each one is different. Each canvas, exactly. it's like a new canvas. Tell us, Doctor Miller, what should and, and we're we're going to have to have you back on for sure because this is so important. But tell us what. Okay, so just let's say it's my son or my and I, you know, or my daughter and I, or somebody I care about. What can I do to be more supportive with me- mental illnesses and to get them maybe to be willing to open up? I mean, what, what are some things that, I mean, inherently you do things just to get people to trust you in conversations. What could we be doing with the people we love? Um, one thing that I do personally, um, is I just be me. I'm not afraid of people judging me. I'm not worried about if they're going to think I'm stupid or if I'm going to be helpful or not. I just try to be as genuine and as honest, as open with people as I can. Right. So you, you said with your example, with your son, hopefully that relationship, which is very important, and both obviously with your families, but also with your therapist. Right. That that relationship is at a point where it's okay to give and receive feedback mm-hmm. and, and, and to approach it. So I hope you have that established. And let's say that you do. So you approach yeah. your son and you're worried about him. You say, son, you know, I'm worried about you. Can you tell me a little bit about what's going on? And as he's talking to you, hopefully, and he's kind of opening up a little bit, the, the worst thing you can do, and what I hear a lot, are responses such as, well, you're just being silly. Um, what are you doing to cause this? Yeah. Why don't you change yourself? Yeah. Um, you know, and those aren't very validating. They're no. more invalidating. 
But anyway, so so the thing you can do as a parent or somebody that you love, I think that's most important, is to is to do exactly that. Be loving yeah. and supportive. Listen and try to understand where they're coming from, and leave out judgment. Yeah. And that's a hard thing to do, especially when you're enmeshed with that individual in some sort of you know family or right. Or he or, might embarrass me. I mean, he just got the police just brought him home. I sure. mean, you're embarrassing me, son. Pull your head out. Stop it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so the, the, the next step, I think, is to really educate yourself. You know, let's say your son is talking about stuff. I mean, good grief. Go Google those words that he said that came out of his mouth and see what comes up. Exactly. You know, yeah. and educate yourself and then work. If he ends up going to a therapist or something, be in touch with that therapist. Yeah, hands right? on. Get involved. Yeah, be involved in a supportive way. Not Yeah, it's not controlling, way. right. Yeah, because let's be honest. There are certain things that you just don't want to tell mom and dad. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, like, and they're part of the system, right? Mom and dad are part of the system. Sure, exactly. Yeah. And so that's why a therapist is so important for a lot of people because it's a space where they won't receive judgment, that the, so they're not going to be judged or objectified, and that they have no personal stake that's right. in that person's right. life in the sense that they don't know them, they don't – you know, and so they're able to remain more objective, hopefully, and, and less judgmental. That's right. Oh, so that's educate perfect. yourself. Be loving and supportive. Educate yourself. Be involved. Try to show empathy, and uh, just you know, just be there for them. Ah, oh, excellent, excellent advice, um, Dr. Colton Miller from BYU, Idaho. Um, just basically representing his great experience in uh, helping people. Appreciate you being with us, Dr. Miller. We will for sure have you on again. Yeah, your insight. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Take care. Again, folks, what great advice. Just educate yourself. Be informed. Love. Be there. Be there for them. Be the support, right? The guide on the side. You don't have to control them to help people. Uh, we're going to come back with uh, even more ideas, tools, and hopefully just a little motivation to have us all start looking out for each other a little more closely. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. It's been a quarter of a century since the movie Back to the Future promised us flying cars. So, where are they? This is Innovation Now. A new vehicle called the Transition promises to get us closer to the future envisioned by movies and TV shows and closer to having a flying machine in our own garage. The Transition Light Sport Aircraft from Terrafugia seats two and can fly over 100 miles per hour for almost 500 miles. It will be able to take off and land at any public-use general aviation airport. On the ground, its wings fold up, so you will be able to simply drive on the road to your destination. No rental car needed. And there's a bonus. It's small enough to park in your own driveway. It's not just a concept either. The company has completed both powered road testing and flight testing. They plan to start delivering next-generation vehicles to customers later this year. The ability of the transition to both fly and drive could help reduce the potential for accidents by allowing pilots to land and drive to their destination instead of flying through bad weather conditions. And when you're low on gas, no need for expensive jet fuel, you can fill this convertible up with unleaded fuel from your local gas station. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. 
What song changed my life? There are a lot of songs that have changed my life. It's a totally brutal question to try and answer. Every musician has that one song that changed their life. Join Tony Award winner Leia Salonga, American Idol finalist Brooke White, and more of your favorite artists as they explore their lives before and after they heard that one song that changed everything. Watch The Song That Changed My Life, Monday nights at 7.30 on BYU-TV. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking about mental health issues, how to help the people that uh, we love, and how to how to basically manage our own mental health issues as well. Wanted to just run you through a couple of um, interesting little uh, tidbits because this idea of mental health is something that's pretty common. Let me give you a few data points. You tell me and think if you can figure out who this person is, okay? By the way, had a mental health issue. He was clearly brilliant even as a child. He was a prodigy. His father exploited his son's talents. Uh, He would have had manic episodes, they say, that which is what fueled his creativity. Some say when life tormented him, um, when he was feeling lonely, he'd suffer psychotic delusions, and composing helped him to escape it. I can only imagine deafness didn't help his loneliness. Some wonder if he drank lots of alcohol to self-medicate, and that led to liver disease, which eventually killed him. Who is it? That is Ludwig von Beethoven, who suffered bipolar disorder. Where would we be? Without him. How about this one? Among the most famous mathematicians of all time, as much as we credit the discovery of gravity, the whole apple tree thing, it really goes deeper. He figured out what centrifugal G forces are and how gravity ties the earth and moon together. But he'd like to argue uh, Newton could really, really get mad if he disagreed with you. And throughout his life, he kept having nervous breakdowns. Who's that? Isaac. Newton, Sir Isaac Newton, he suffered anxiety. How about this one? You may have known this one. Um, I don't know how much I can give you that. That'll just kill it. He was known as Honest Abe. That pretty much gave it away there. The president who held the country together during the Civil War and the critical early days of the antebellum post-war period. Carl Sandburg wrote a long biography on Lincoln. He found out a quiet history of, uh, he, he was found to have a quiet history of very, very severe depression. Lincoln at times was nearly suicidal. Mary Todd Lincoln thought her husband could be too trusting. And when somebody betrayed the trust, it could plunge Abe into a deep melancholy with thoughts of suicide. Turned the strength uh, when he developed uh, his own mental health kind of philosophy of just incredible sheer determination to overcome anything, including the worst war ever on U.S. soil. Abraham Lincoln suffered depression. Um, others, uh, Winston Churchill, Winston Churchill also apparently suffered severe depression, which led to his alcoholism. Uh, there's a book out now that actually says maybe it's some of these, um, mental health issues that actually helped people like Churchill through World War II or helped, um, Abraham Lincoln through, um, the Civil War, maybe even helped, um, Te- or John F. Kennedy through the, uh, Cuban, Cuban Missile Crisis. So, Again, there's good, there's very good that, ha- that we all have, even if we're suffering a little mental illness. And to, to kind of wrap this up, I want to just tell you a, one of my favorite stories. Okay? It's, an old, it's an old wives' tale, basically. About, it's called the cracked pot. Okay? So a water bearer in India had two large pots. 
each hung on the end of a pole, which he carried across his neck. One of the pots had a crack in it, and while the other pot was perfect and always delivered the full portion of water at the end of the long walk from the stream to the master's house, the crack pot arrived only half full. For two years, two full years, this went on daily, with the bearer delivering only one and a half pots of full water to his master's house. Of course, the perfect pot was proud of its accomplishments, perfect to the end for which it was made. But the crack pot was ashamed of its own imperfections and the miser- and it's miserable that it was not able to accomplish its task, that it was only able to bring half of what it had been made to do. After two years of what it perceived to be a failure, it spoke to the water bearer one day by the stream, the pot did, and said, I am ashamed of myself, and I want to apologize to you. Why? asked the bearer. What are you ashamed of? I have been able for these past two years to only bring half of my load because of this crack in my side, and it causes me to leak out the water all the way back to your master's house. Because of my flaws, you have had to do even more of this work. And you had you were not able to get the full value from your efforts, the pot said. The water bearer felt sorry for the old cracked pot. And in his compassion, he said, As we return to the master's house, I want you to notice the beautiful flowers along the path. Indeed, as we went back up the hill, the old cracked pot noticed, took notice of the sun, warming the beautiful wild flowers on the side of the path. And this cheered it somewhat. But at the end of the trail, it still said it felt bad because it had leaked out half of its load. And so again, it apologized to the bearer for its failure. The bearer said to the pot, Did you notice that there were flowers only on one side of the path, but not on the pots, the other pot's side? That's because I have always known about your flaw, and I took advantage of it. I planted flower seeds on your side of the path, and every day while we walked back from the stream, you watered them. For two years, I've been able to pick these beautiful flowers to decorate my master's table. Without you being just the way you are, he would not have had this beauty to grace his house. Each of us has our own unique flaws, right? We're all a little cracked up, aren't we? In this world, nothing goes to waste, my friends. You may think that the cracked pot that you, as a cracked pot, that you're inefficient or useless in certain ways of life. But somehow, let me tell you, your flaws are only going to be a blessing in disguise to the rest of us. Folks, we all are a little cracked. We all are cracked pots. And we can use and benefit from everything that everybody on this earth brings Whether there's mental illness or not, you still are valuable and you can still bring beauty. That is our challenge, folks. Go out, start celebrating the beauty of everyone around you, even those people with a little crack in them. Okay? Thanks for listening, everybody. We're going to be back every Monday through Friday right here on the Matt Townsend Show, Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. KBYU-FM, HD2, Provo. Today's Thinking Aloud original.